Hello, everyone, and welcome to the lineup with Dave Prodan, presented by Michelob Ultra Pure Gold. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 49. The U.S. elections called their results over the weekend, with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris winning the presidency over Donald Trump and Michael Pence. The result is historic for several reasons, coming at a time when the country has never been more polarized. But I think special attention and congratulations should be given to Kamala for being the first woman, African-American, and South Asian-American to hold the office of the vice president. It's long overdue, and congratulations. And I'm sure me even covering this on this podcast is going to irk a certain set of people. People who I have in my own life, who I have and continue to work with, but to quote Robbie Hart, I have a microphone and you don't. Well, I have a microphone and you don't. This is my podcast, so I'm gonna talk about whatever I want. And it would be ridiculous to me to go about the surfing world's business without acknowledging something so important. The past four years particularly have been so hard for people everywhere, especially so for women, people of color, immigrants, LGBTQIA communities, the list goes on. I am, as I've said before, none of those things, but good grief. Uh, I mean, can we establish a common species foundation of not mistreating one another, of not discriminating against people who are different than us? Can those be the table stakes before we get into economic philosophy or foreign policy debates? And I can already hear the detractors now, some with quote-unquote icon status next to their names in the surfing world or giant stickers still on their boards. Surfing is apolitical. Such a lazy fucking retort. It is so fucking lazy. And when that's met with the very valid reality, and when we've stressed on this podcast before of the myth of apoliticism is only something that can be pursued by individuals who have never been oppressed by any system. These same detractors who are exclusively people who have never been oppressed by any system, just ignore it. Maybe they don't understand the words. Maybe they don't want to have to deal with an ounce of introspection. Maybe the idea of discomfort is too much, but come on. You're surfers. The ocean doesn't care who you are. Surfing should be for anyone. Can we all start there? We'll see. All right, episode 49. On the topic of starts, the WSL's championship tour has confirmed its start dates in Hawaii. Hallelujah, I'm not even religious. Today, the organization announced that the world's best surfers will be coming back with the Maui Pro presented by Roxy on December 4th and the Billabong Pipe Masters, the 50th anniversary of the event on December 8th. Additionally, the WSL has confirmed that the venue for the inaugural WSL finals will be Lower Trestles in September of 2021. We discuss all that and more on today's podcast. Let's get to it. Please enjoy the lineups conversation with Pat O'Connell. The good old clap take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be a world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once, let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. Let's talk to your boxing. The Pat O'Connell, back on the lineup. What a fucking week or year, <laughs> I don't know. 
Yeah. So someone said something. We're recording this on a Friday the 6th, and someone said something to me yesterday, and it, the person said, it's not Thursday, it's the third Tuesday of the week, and I really felt that. Yeah. Yeah, it's been, it, it's been an interesting week for sure. And, and you know, as anything that 2020 has taught us, um, the third Tuesday of the week is isn't uh, expected in 2020. This is not, this should not be a surprise to anyone at this point. For sure. I think one of the virtues of working at an international company is you've got like international friends and colleagues. I'm sure you've been getting messages this week, but they've all been watching with great interest and like the United States is now kind of like a spectacle for the world to watch in horror. Maybe it's been that way for a while, but maybe it's just more pronounced now. And, you know, the, a buddy of mine sent me another thing and he was like, other countries are really watching America right now and hoping we get it together like bubbles from the wire. And I'm like, yeah, pretty much. Like, <laughs> I mean, even if, But in any event, and possibly even cosmically related, the championship tour is scheduled to start. We've announced today that we're starting in Hawaii with December 4th for Honolulu Bay and December 8th for the Pipe Masters. So that's exciting. I mean, uh, to separate those from the other, I would say, uh, well, shoot, it's been a, it, it sort of, we've been campaigning very similar the, uh, to, to uh, what's been happening in the States. But um, yeah, look, Dave, we've been, we've been working so hard on this. Um, and I think, and we'll get into a little bit of, um, the thought pattern around why we're starting and wh- why we think we ha- have a good path to do it. Um, also, I think just the countdown series and how that actually played a, a huge role for us in COVID uh, protocol and practices. Um, but I think, you know, we've been doing this kind of going back and forth. I think everybody feels at some level uh, Groundhog Day. Um, for the first time now, we actually have, a, you know, a start in sight. And it feels like we're actually doing something that is we're going to see some results from, uh, which feels amazing. And I think we've been stuck in neutral for a long time. Yeah. I mean, it, I guess, you know, I was thinking of it because you and I are like so in the weeds on this. And I know that we announced as an organization that, hey, we are going to start with Maui um, at the end of November. We are going to start with Pipe in December, in July. And I guess this update today, we've only kind of shifted Maui a a little bit and that's kind of the only change to the start but so I guess for fans it hasn't changed a whole lot but I feel like we have almost every week explored every possible permutation to starting surfing sometimes revisiting options like several times yeah yeah I think um and just a little bit of perspective for everyone so you know when you look at other professional sports uh typically they're held in stadiums or arenas that are privately owned. Um, one of the truly unique things about surfing is they're on public beaches and uh, we require public permits. Um, and in the world of COVID and sort of keeping people away from each other, there that, that slight variation is very tough to sort of manage. And so when we uh, are going to whatever location, whether it be Hawaii, Australia, we are very mindful of local communities and how bringing people is going to positively affect, but also potentially negatively affect. And so that's why it's so important that we actually led not with any sort of positive uh, economic or what it could do to the community, but more with our COVID protocols. And those became our leading uh, story as we went to work with um, these governments. And so, as you said, like we had, we had that on the calendar 
And to everyone else, it just looks like, yep, cool. But largely, as we take a step back, these uh, countdown events and the protocols we put into place and ran through those um, with no positive cases during uh, the nine events that we ran, they gave us license to sort of go, okay, and refine those again as we, you know, go into Hawaii. And we're very respectful of making sure that we, you know, come into that community and we have a positive effect and there's no sort of negative, you know, look what you've done here. For sure. And it's, it's especially challenging, right? Because we are a global company and we're dealing with different governments that are dealing with COVID in their own way. So a lot of these approaches, as you highlighted locally, are pretty bespoke. You know, there's not a one size fits all to, all right, we're going to do this in 10 different spots. And, and those relationships with the local community are really, really important. I think the other thing that's interesting for us too is surfing is actually, and it's gone widely unreported, but it was the first global sport to digitally webcast. Um, our former chief technological officer, Monazul, genius from Brazil, figured it out back in 96, 97 and tested it for the first time in, from Portugal. You know, and that was a symptom or a result or an outcome from Wayne Rabbit Bartholomew's vision for the Dream Tour. You know, he had to convince all the brands that, hey, instead of running all your events in highly populated areas, like what if we went remote and, and put the world's best surfers in the world's best waves? So out of survival, we had to develop the webcast and it's actually put us in a really good position um, just generally the way the media and um, you know, uh, market landscapes gone, but also for situations like this, like we have a world-class webcast that you don't have to physically be there to watch the surfing, you know, in a lot of ways you could watch the webcast and get more out of it, which is, is really helpful for us moving into the season. Yeah. I mean, we've always had to sort of be maybe one step ahead in, in a lot of ways. Um, in so, it, Like you kind of said it, like in some ways um, with everybody watching through their phone and computers and, you know, yes, it's nice to have linear TV and broadcast that stuff, but we're reaching our fans through sort of, uh, I guess, a new way. And we have been, we've sort of been leading that for, for a very long time. So this kind of puts us right back to where, um, I think we're best. We talked about this a few times over the course of this year, but now that we're on the, the cusp, we're on the eve of the championship tour starting with Honolulu Bay and Pipeline, what are your thoughts on how you think that is going to impact the, the start of the season, right? Because these events have traditionally ended the season. What are kind of the key changes on the, the men's and women's side that you think you'll see you know, in, the, in the coming months with, with these two events starting the year? Well, I think when we first uh, envisioned the the flip of the season, we really we do start off strong. Um, the other thing that's uh, really important, maybe a little less so for um, 2021, because we do not have a cut, a mid-season cut, which we will in future iterations. But every heat matters, and by starting off with major great waves and and arguably some of the most challenging ways on both tours, you really get like, you have to put your best foot forward. And, you know, I had said for a long time when I was on the tour, by the time you came to pipe, it was sort of fun and vacation for a person in the middle of the ratings because you didn't really have much. I mean, you could move up or down in the ratings, but you were still going to be on tour or not, whatever, you know, and outside of the three or four people that would uh, be going for a world title, it didn't really matter. And so what happens is I think we've put the most consequential wave first 
and mm. you had better perform. And, you know, um, <laughs> I, I can tell you with experience, um, starting with the last or starting in the cellar is really hard to climb out from. So mm. um, I, I think it's going to be, you know, you're going to see a very different pressure than you did when we were starting at Snapper when we started pipe and I, I look squarely at, you know, a guy like Jack Robinson who has shown in the countdown that he has performed much better in the, the, you know, a more performance type of waves, but he is so deadly and, mm. you know, he could go from a low seed and I could see him being in the final and all of a mm -hmm. sudden, boom, he finds him right himself right in the middle of the draw. And I, I just think that's stuff like that you're going to see is, will really play out positive, I think, overall. It will change the landscape. Yeah, I think so for sure. I'm really interest, interested to see how it changes the landscape. I think in particular, like someone like Gabriel Medina, who is notorious for starting really, really slow and finishing really, really strong relative to you know the title campaigns. I wonder if it's going to flip now that he's starting with Pipe, if he just gets you know his fangs out for the first event of the year and if that changes the, the tone and tenor of the race. So it's going to be really cool. The second big announcement from today is we have finally announced where the 2021 WSL finals venue is going to be. And it's going to be at Lower Trestles, which is coming back to elite championship tour competition for the first time since 2017. And it will decide the 2021 world champions. So maybe for, for some of our listeners who are maybe, maybe really young and maybe just uninitiated to Lower Trestles, can you kind of describe what that wave is like and what the history is there uh, from your perspective, Pat? Gosh, so um, the wave is just, it's, it's an open canvas. And I think the, what's great about lower trestles for a final event, it will put a premium on performance surfing. There are no real, um, it's, it, there's no one with a real distinct advantage or disadvantage going into trestles. And that's why I think it makes a whole lot of sense for this WSL final. I just think that anybody can win out there and certainly will display the most performance surfing on both men and women. From a historical standpoint, you know, uh, I think, gosh, I'm going back, you know, 15 years ago, whatever. It wasn't on the calendar. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I remember when I was on tour, part of Rabbit's idea of a dream tour, it was, we've got to go to the best wave in each uh, geography, you know, whatever. So we ended up, you know, pushing super hard because I think we had been at Huntington uh, and the mm -hmm. OP Pro for a long time. And the logical choice was trestles. And so it took a heavy lift and Boost Mobile came and mm -hmm. we went to trestles and it was like, you know, it was like, a, a oh my God, finally we're here. And we scored a couple amazing years. Uh, the year that Luke Egan won uh, was just, uh, I remember really well. And through time then, you know, when I was at Hurley, we signed on and there were great final matches um, and just crazy, crazy heats all the way up until, as you said, 2017, when it came off the calendar. So, you know, ever since uh, I think the surfers and certainly since I've been with the WSL, there's been a conversations of how to bring trestles back. Um, and I think this is a really fitting time and window to, to bring trestles back. Yeah, I think one of those things that you said really resonates for me, and we've been in these conversations for so long at this point, but, you know, I think it's one of those waves where the surfing has to win on the day, right? It's not, the ocean isn't necessarily going to gift you like a 10 foot pipe bomb or a 10 foot chopu bomb. And that's the heat. Like there's so much opportunity for, you know, goofy footers, natural footers, you power surfers, like progressive surfers. Like it's one of those, as you said, open canvases that 
really, really, you're going to have to perform and your surfing is going to have to deliver for you to win, which I think is really important, right? Um, and, and having those other like heavy, heavy waves on tour determining who gets to go to trestles is really cool. So I, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. And I also think that time of year, September, um, it's a really, really nice time of year for Southern California. I think that uh, as we saw this year, you know, you get into um, those beautiful, very clean sort of, I mean, I think back to the Kelly Slater black and white film, you know, that is that September time frame. that, that really beautiful high pressure offshore winds and kind of classic California. And, you know, we've given ourselves a good window to catch one day of surf and it's pretty much a magnet for swell. So I think we should, uh, you know, knock on wood, <laughs> getting, you know, just those classic conditions and, um, We'll crown a world champion too. Exciting stuff. We're going to take a quick break to get a word in from our sponsors. And when we come back, the lineup time machine. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right. The Surfing Podcast World's favorite segment is back for the fifth and final time. I know it's very sad, but this is the last lineup time machine before the championship tour resumes and we embark on the pathway to the very first WSL Finals. So quick refresher for the audience. The time machine is Pat and I speculating on how the world title determination would have gone down in previous years with the forthcoming WSL Finals format. Last month, we ran through the theoretical 1998 contenders at NIAS and determined that Lane Beachley and Kelly Slater would have still likely won their respective world titles that year. For today's time machine, we're going to take the year-end ratings from 2019, the last time we actually ran competition, which I was going through it and it felt like 20 years ago. Um, and we're going to run the final five men and final five women through the WSL finals format and speculate who comes out on top. And we will ask the question, what might have happened if the new format was in place way back in 2019? So same disclaimer as the prior time machines. We're obviously aware that all the year-end rankings don't take into account future schedules, formats, judging criteria, mid-season cuts, etc. But we are operating the time machine based on how those years finished at the time. First things first, as we have said each and every time we've done this, the venue obviously plays a huge role in the final event. And now, as we've just discussed for the first time ever, we have a venue for the inaugural WSL finals. That venue is Lower Trestles. So we're going to go through the 2019 year-end rank rankings for the theoretical WSL finals held at Lower Trestles. Whew, mouthful. First things, first things first, the surfers who miss out, I like doing this just from a, from a perspective standpoint, the, the number six surfers who would have missed out on this year's time machine were Tatiana Weston Webb from Brazil and Kauai, 
and Kanoa Igarashi from Japan and Huntington Beach. Do you think either of them, had they, had they snuck into the top five, do you think they would have done some damage at lower trestles? I mean, yeah, they certainly could have. I don't think either of them would have run the gamut. I think there's two names that, uh, outside of those that aren't mentioned, certainly Tyler Wright, um, mm. who had an amazing performance at Honolulu uh, on her first, her, her first uh, event back. And then obviously John John, who was on a tear, who wasn't able to compete. So I, I think those are interesting ones from last year. And again, it feels like 20 years ago. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, uh, it, it's interesting as we think about those top five surfers and what transpires through the year. Uh, I just would say those are honorable mentions. Absolutely. And you and I have actually talked about this before on this podcast, but Lower Trestles has so many different moods, you know, in terms of performance. You mentioned the Luke Egan year. It was well overhead and, and bombing. There's been other years where it's been sort of um, light, light wind crumbles and like three to five feet. Will it, let's, let's land on some conditions for this year's time machine. What, what, are you, what are you recommending we go with in terms of the ideal performance-based Lower Trestles? Well, I'm going to go nostalgic. I'm going to do the Kelly Slater black and white days. Um, I think that New Zealand swell, um, it's got south and a little bit of west. I think, um, you know, part of the thing that we get into in September are chances of getting a hurricane, which was the Luke Egan year. Um, mm -hmm. those, those are better. So we sort of get multiple shots at a decent swell. Um, I don't love the direction uh, on a hurricane. What happens is it it sort of pushes the left out to sea a little bit and the right uh, really does bend a, a bit more. I like that real classic sort of lowers where you can go both ways. So I'm going to say, you know, three to five feet, you know, uh, New Zealand swell, tide. Uh, we want tide, not super high tide. Uh, but again, we only have, you know, four to six hours at the most. So we can cherry pick, um, you know, we would probably start in the nine o'clock and, finish two o'clock, you know, in the afternoon before the tide rushes out too far. So I'm getting very I like specific it. because I think I, we can. Yeah, I really like it. Kelly Slater did not finish in the top five, but he's still influencing the conditions for the WSL finals. <laughs> I'm all for it. <laughs> so the surfers that did get in on the women's side, uh, fifth to first, Sally Fitzgibbons, Stephanie Gilmore, Lakey Peterson, Caroline Marks, and Carissa Moore. And on the men's side, Kolohe Andino, Felipe Toledo, Jordy Smith, Gabriel Medina, Italo Ferreira. Both really gnarly fields for lower trestles. But Jeez. match one is going to be seed number four on the women's, which was Stephanie Gilmore, up against seed number five, Sally Fitzgibbons. Who do you have? See, this is where it gets so sick. That's a great heat. That's a great heat. And, and the one thing, I, the, the, what, I, what I enjoy about this I think Steph, when she's motivated and focused, she's, you know, just the most beautiful surfer in the world to watch. And if this doesn't get her motivated, I don't know what does, right? So, you know, there's a, 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 a bit of nerves and everything. But if Steph can sort of channel who sh that, that raw ability and, and she has, I think she wins that heat. Um, it just, you know, is the moment going to be so big that – um, it overcomes her or does she find her best? Because I still think about the 10 point ride she had. And I think 2016 at, at lowers is just being a classic. So, um, I think it would be hard to beat her. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think Sally's another one that could rise to the occasion. Um, certainly when the pressure's on, um, in, in sort of a one day event, 
I, I just look at, you know, if we're going off the results in 2019, like she finished the year with five fifths in a row, you know, and for whatever reason, she just couldn't break out of the quarters in the back half there. Not that that has to overly influence how she'd perform at the WSL finals, but I'm with you. I think like Steph's power um, and, and, and her ability to win is going gonna, is gonna to give her the win in, in match one. So, so Steph Gilmore, we've got Steph over Sally for match one at the 2019 WSL finals. Match two, uh, two of your former wards at Hurley. Um, so you got to have to choose your child that's going to die here. Um, Philippe A. Toledo, the number four seat on the men's versus Kolohe Andino, the number five seat on the men's. Kolohe, <laughs> Kolohe. In his backyard. And it's Felipe's backyard, too, now since he moved there. So you get to go first on this one, sir. There is no good answer to this one. I mean, look, <laughs> who's going to who's not going to respond to your text next is what we're going with. Hey, so, well, I just I think um, I think brother being in the top five, the amount of community support would be through the roof. He will definitely be up for that heat. And again, um, it just. Felipe is that, that, that guy that you just sort of go, um, he could sort of do anything. Um, mm. He's sort of the favorite at Trestles in a lot of ways. So it's, it's a really tough heat. I may actually surprise you and, and lean on the brother side. And, and, and I'll, like the reason I would say is where I'm envisioning is sort of, you know, those, those sunny early mornings and it's actually a bit offshore in the morning. Where I think brother can get in there on the face and and lay in some some really good turns. I think if there's slight crumble, I think Felipe does backflips all day. Um, mm. But I think the way I see Kolohe surfing now, where he's really pinpointing that uh, and kind of that combo, it's a, a look. That's a toss up. I mean, it's a lot of people will say Felipe wins that heat, but I may go a little off the reservation and take Kolohe. I think I think you know this is our fifth time doing this. This may be the gnarliest first men's matchup of the the Time Machine WSL Finals we've seen. Felipe Toledo versus Chloe Andino at Lower Trestles. Yeah, I I not to, not to lockstep with you the whole time. I'm going to give it to Chloe as well, even though again I think there's going to be a lot of people who are like you guys are tripping. Yeah. Um, Felipe at the end of 2009 was was nursing a back injury. And he was just looking a little slower. And I think if you look at Kolohe's form last year, he finished in a, in a controversial final, right, against um, Italo at the first event at, at, um, at Debaugh. He finished um, second again at Margaret River. I, I think his rail surfing was, was on point um, in 2019. I think he's just worked really hard on his fitness. And he, he, I don't know if he's ever performed super well at lower trestles, even when it was a CT. But I just kind of, like, we could be wrong and it, he could kind of continue that trend and the pressure of being home's too much. But I'm going to give it to him in our hypothetical because I think he's going he's gonna to kind of get the monkey off his back there and do well and, and, and really strike a, strike a win for the locals there because it's been a while for them. Yep. Match three, we have number three women's seed, Lakey Peterson against your and my match one winner, Steph Gilmore. What do you think? <laughs> Let's let's remember too that this in 2019 was for Olympic spot, which is another uh, for the top three ladies um, are U.S. surfers, and the top two would have been going to the Olympics. So uh, this is added pressure for Lakey, um, and so 
Yeah, this is a tough heat. And again, is I think Lakey is very, very competitive with Steph. Um, as far you know, I think they they have certain things that they they have in common. I think they both you know grew up at right points. Um, Lakey's strength is just, is in a similar place as as Steph. And this just goes to how good I think Steph is. I just think Steph has that extra twenty percent on almost the whole field. And this isn't a shot at Lakey because I think Lakey could run it. If Steph gets through that heat with Sally and can get a little bit, a uh, little momentum, I think she's going to be tough to beat. You know, so I, I'm going to go that way, knowing full well that Steph may have nerves and and meltdown and not get through Sally either. But you know, I'm playing off of black and white. I'm thinking about beautiful conditions, and I love to see you know Steph doing her big arcs and sort of putting that surfing together. I, I back the I back the call. I'm going to depart from you here, and the reason I am is because, and, and and maybe the only reason I am is because I was refreshed at how well Lakey can perform at lower trestles. Um, yeah. Pretty recently, actually, we did a rear view, and we we watched her heat against Carissa. I think it was 2017, yeah. and I remember being like blown away when it happened. But you know, there's so much good surfing every year that you kind of have to go dust through the cobwebs to kind of find it. And I watched it with her. We were up at um, Surf Ranch for the um, Rumble at the Ranch when we were doing the podcast. And I was just like, kind of my jaw was on the ground at how well she surfed. She, I think she, she, she spends a lot of time at lowers, obviously. She's worked really hard on her boards. I, I, I think it's an interesting thing you, you raised on the Olympic pressure because that's something that I think understandably, and she's talked about as well, played into her performance in Maui last year. But I think it lowers. It's a different game. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give match three to Lakey over Steph. You know, I'll I'll, I'll I'm gonna stick with what I said. But one thing I, I will say to you that um, I remember that heat really well. Um, one thing that Lakey has going for her, and I if uh, if she ever if she listens to this, her uh, when she's aggressive, it is a separator for her. Mm. I think if she tries to match Steph on style and all of that stuff. Steph just has so much flow, and I think of that. But that's not necessarily always what scores. So I think if if Lakey gets out there and is more aggressive, I think it goes the way that you just said. So I'm not going to change my opinion, but I like what you said. Match four, Jordy Smith versus, for both of us, the match two winner, Kolohe Andino. Yeah, I just Jordy is so powerful. Uh, and and uh, when we watched him win... Did he win in 2015 or 16 or uh, 2000? Yeah, over, over Felipe, right? Yeah. Um, oh, he, and he also won. Over John, right? Yeah, he won. He, he beat John as well. One of the years, it was real small, and he rode this little swallowtail that just, yep. uh, he was lightning quick. I think Jordy has the ability to adapt to sort of all the conditions out there. Um, I, I think it's hard to get past Jordy and out there. I'm with you. Like, I, it's interesting even just kind of looking at this heat because when you think of the weapons each of them have, they're, they're actually pretty similar, right? Like, they're, they're amazing rail surfers. They're really good at, like, loosing the tail. They're good aerialists. Jordy is just kind of physically bigger, you know, and he's, like, a proven winner. And I think he's worked a ton on his body, and a, as has Kolohe, and a ton on his equipment. And I think that if we're giving Kolohe a pass over Toledo on the nerves, I think this is where they kick in. And I think um, Jordy kind of is like the alpha in, in this situation comes through because I think they're pretty equal on weapons. I don't think there's something that Kolohe can pull out to kind of challenge him. So I'm going to go with, with Jordy as well. 
you know, one, one thing I would say, and again, this goes into conditions. Uh, I'm thinking sort of forehand versus forehand. One thing that mm. I think Lohe has uh, as a step up on Jordy is his backhand. So That's I a good do point. If, if Kolohe ends up uh, going left, which is A, quicker than the going right, you get out faster and does allow for um, a little bit more acrobatic and aerial surfing a lot of times. And again, goes into swell direction and stuff. I think Brotherman has a better chance there. I think his backhand is freaking lethal. So, and, and as we know, anytime, like when it's man-on-man competition, you really are pitting one person against the other. So you're comparing. And I, I think if, if they do end up going left, I think Brother has a better chance. It's a really interesting point too, right? Because so far in our, in our time machine, we haven't seen any goofy footers. So hypothetically, you could be like, everyone's gone right, like so far for the whole day. And so if a good left comes through and, and Brother is taking your guidance here and he hammers one, like that, that could be a big point of difference for what the judges have seen all day. And, and that could turn it. So it's interesting insight in terms of how does Brother beat Jordy at, uh, I, at lowers? I like it. I have one other funny piece of just thinking about this out loud is, um, so as you know, Dave, you've been down there, there's no beach left. Mm. And so where we typically set up, I think there's, there's an interesting thing to where, like I was thinking about the left doesn't always score as good as the right. It seems like the right offers more opportunity, which equals more opportunity to score, but it's also point two. So where the judges have always sat, they sit to where the right looks a little steeper than maybe it really mm, is. Right. I wonder if we have to, to move where the judges are. And so the left looks, you know, maybe it's moved back a little bit. Just point of view can absolutely change somebody's uh, opinion of what they're seeing. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the theory with like, you know, backdoor always scores a point higher than pipe because you can't see how deep the person is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, all those little things impact. So interesting, interesting, interesting. Okay. Match five, Caroline Marks versus, for you, uh, Stephanie Gilmore, and for me, Lakey Peterson. How does Caroline go against Steph in match five? Well, here's where you get into really different looks. And this is kind yeah. of what I was saying is that, you know, as, as we went into that with Lakey and, and, you know, again, Lakey's more aggressive than Steph, but she gets, you know, you really have to accentuate. And why I think Trestles works is it allows you to really play up what your difference and what your strong point is versus the other competitor. And it's about you, not necessarily about the wave. Um, this is where I think Caroline's backhand um, really comes into um, into play because she's more vertical and um, she does turn through her backhand better than um, almost anybody, really, men and women. She's Her, her backhand is, is uh, like they just say, it looks like Aki, which um, is a huge compliment. Um, but... I, I just think this is a really, really great battle. Um, if, and I'm going to go into if, if it's sort of five foot, you know, and when I say five foot, I'm, I mean, it's, you know, well overhead on the sets. Um, I keep thinking about Steph laying out those big arcs and maybe I'm just too high on that idea. But if she can do that, I think, um, I really only, I think that it's a two person race and, and ultimately it's going to be her and Chris in the final in my eyes. If it's anything unlike that and it's a little conditions are a little bit, I just think Caroline at her worst is going to put it up two seven fives or eights on her back. Mm -hmm. It's just that good. I think like, I, I guess the way I look at it is Caroline's going to put up, you know, 15 points. Steph has to beat that. Mm -hmm. So who's your pick? Steph. Staff. 
I agree with all that analysis. I think it's really, really good. So I have Caroline versus Lakey. Similar in that it's interesting, like we're both talking about rights. You know, we're kind of, you were comparing um, Caroline's backhand versus Steph's forehand on the same canvas, right? It wouldn't be Caroline's forehand on the left, I think, um, at this point. I'm the same way. Like I think it's Lakey's forehand on the right versus Caroline's backhand on the right. And I think kind of what we talked about before she, she does go more vertical than almost any surfer on tour um, and certainly through a top turn. And it's going to be such a point of difference. She'll be the first goofy footer the judges have seen for the day. I think, I think she's going to beat uh, Lakey on, on my trajectory. Um, so I'm going to give that one to Caroline for match five. But, you know, one thing I'll say is, and, and maybe just because it's so close to us now as far as timing, these are definitely the tightest. Like, I don't feel like any of these are foregone conclusions like i could easily see every decision like going the opposite way because i i'm a huge caroline fan like i just think she's amazing i think she's going to win multiple world titles i don't know why i guess when i started the um kelly slater black and white i really started sort of envisioning <laughs> going Who, who's wearing star trunks that person wins i don't know <laughs> all right so match six Gabriel Medina versus, for you and I, Jordy Smith. So Gabriel has traditionally not performed amazing at trestles. And I, I um, you know, I'll be one to say that I, I thought that he probably won the heat in 2016, that he lost to Tanner. Um, I was, uh, <laughs> I, I, I can say that because I wasn't working at the company then. Uh, but I, I, you know, I thought. You can say it anyway. We're not judges. We just, we're not we judges. Call it, yeah. We're straight shooters right down the middle. That's, what that's, we, that's how we call it. Yeah. Yeah. Nonpartisan. Res- respect, respect it on both sides. Right. So um, I've always been surprised that Gabriel hasn't performed better at trusses because I think that if he's not the best performing surfer in the world, he's right there. And, and so one thing that I've been surprised about Gabriel at trestles typically is he tends to not go and utilize his aerial surfing on the lefts. Um, mm. I, I, I remember a heat that he, him and Ace had, that Ace won. Um, and Ace got a couple good rights, and Gabriel kept going right and not getting the right one. And then he finally went left and got a big score and got himself back in the heat. Um, yeah. And I keep falling back on this thing as you are comparing one thing versus the other. And so um, I would say if Gabriel can kind of go on the left and do a couple – you know, big errors or some spins or something that sort of breaks the what you're seeing from Jordy and those big arcs. I right. think Gabriel, Gabriel gets the win. So you're going with Gabriel. I'm going to go with Gabriel. It's funny. Like, I, it's, it's almost he's so, so good at everything and he has the deepest bag of tricks. I wonder because Trestles and Lowers is such a perfect canvas, if there's a bit of decision paralysis for him historically, where it's like he could do anything. You know, and and I think that he, he, I'm not a play armchair psychologist, but it's like he could look at the left and be like, nah, the left typically doesn't score as high. Yeah, I could go out there and do like a Superman air and do a comp like I do a billion things, but I know I need to surf the right. And I think he gets kind of sucked into the right. It's interesting too, like in any and, and that's when he really relies on his like rail game and power surfing, which is world class. He doesn't, I don't really recall him like going to the air early on any rights, you know? And it's one of those things where it's like all the talent in the world, you could just load up a huge straight punt on a right 
and really set the tone differently for this heat and then go into like your like 12 o'clock hits, you know, to finish the wave. But I just haven't seen him do it. I think between him and Jordy, just hypothetically for, for my pick, Jordy keeps him focused on the rights and Jordy's able to create a point of difference because Jordy will like loose the tail and really kind of perform again. Like we could call this 99 times and it could bounce back and forth. Like these guys are so good, but I'm going to give it to Jordy is, is my pick. Um, for this I think year. it's interesting. What you said though, is that Jordy will keep him on the rights. So in other words, they will have to play against each other. And so if one person's going right, then it's like, well, I can't give them all the rights. And so I think that's an important part of how they play these seats out. Totally. So now we're down to the women's final and we have the number one women's seed, Carissa Moore, uh, versus for you, uh, Steph Gilmore, best two out of three, who takes the 2019 world title if we run it at lower trestles? Well, I think Carissa wins. So um, I'm not sure how uh, the, the matches go. I think she wins. She was so strong last year. She, uh, and, and I'm also, again, buoyed by the fact that I, uh, she was in California practicing for a, a period of time, and she looked sharp as stack. Like, she looked amazing. She is someone that can match sort of Steph on that open face. But in her moment, she actually has that next little flair. And so I think, uh, you know, and, and Steph has surfed quite a few heats, which may be helpful. Trestles isn't like you're dead tired. Um, but at 35-minute heat, she's already had a few under her belt. I think she, she wears out, and I think Carissa gets her. You've obviously worked with Carissa a lot. I'm curious, you know, in this hypothetical scenario, one day for the world title at Lower Trestles, how is she in terms of psychological strength and dealing with pressure? Um, compared to other surfers on tour. I'm just curious. I don't have an opinion. I, I'm, I'm going to go with Carissa over uh, Caroline for me too, just based on raw talent and, and her ability as a proven winner. But yeah. I'm just curious what your read is on the, on the pressure of a one-day world title event. I think Carissa's streaky. In the, like she needs, hmm. um, when she gets on a, a positive sort of vibe, it's hard to stop her. Um, mm-hmm. So the, the only thing I would say, it's almost if she came in at second or third, and sort of built momentum through the day right? would almost be um, would play into her, her world a little bit easier. But I do think that she gets three chances. She's got to win two of the three. I -hmm. think, you know, by her performance through the year, she's going to feel that confidence. So that's what I'm going on. But I do think Carissa is streaky in the sense she wants to get her feet in the wax and kind of get moving. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe it goes three heats, but I think she's, she's there. Yeah, I, I feel similar. Like, I think this is going to be so interesting every time we do this with the number one seed because you kind of have to wait at the end of the dance hall and like watch this person potentially kind of rampaging through the field all day and getting like warm and loose and and, and potentially tired. Yep. But they get to you and, and you're like, oh man, I it's like surfed since this morning. Like, and Jesus, did you see what that person, you know, like you could have, you could get a bit of shell shock if you're the number one seed in that first heat. So but I'm with you. I, I think I think if it goes three heats, she wins. I think she's so so good out there. Men's final. So the men's final, we have number one seed Italo Ferreira for you versus Gabriel Medina at lower trestles. Best two out of three. Who takes it? Well, and and this here's my bias coming out because Italo rides Timmy Patterson's, <laughs> and he's local surfer uh, or local shaper. Um, I think Italo wins. I think Italo, you made a great point uh, earlier in, in speaking about Gabriel. I think 
where, you know, you had mentioned you hadn't seen Gabriel go out and do that first move, big air. I kind of think back to, to Bali where, you know, Italo did that and, uh, you know, then hammered it six times after. I just think he is so acrobatic that Trestles is a, it becomes sort of, you know, a skate ramp for him. And I think we start to see surfing that we, you know, you put him out there three heats in a row. I think we're going to see something we hadn't seen. Um, and so that's, what's exciting to me about this format is I think the two boys will push each other. Um, and we're going to see, we'll see that sort of battle like we've never seen. Mm-hmm. I, I'm with you. Like, I, I think it's, I think it's, you, you took my, my point on, on his ability to, to adapt and really innovate. And he's just like, it's funny. I, I had this exact conversation with someone like a couple days ago about like Italo versus Gabriel at lower trestles. And the person was like, Gabe, all the, all day long. And I'm like, I don't think so. Not at lowers just because Italo is so light on his feet. Like, and it's not a situation, I'm trying to remember where they had a final, if it was at J-Bay or Bells, it was one of those. It was huge, right? And I think Gabe won, but it was like, Gabe was using all, however big he is, like 6'1", 185 pounds of muscle, right? On all of his bottom turns. And it's not that Italo's not strong himself, but he's smaller, right? So like Gabe's power was really suited for those bigger waves, like freight train kind of waves. And I think that may be a little bit of a hindrance at lower trestles because it is high performance, but it doesn't have that like Jeffrey's Bay freight train power, right? Exactly. You know? And so, and I think that Italo's sort of lightness and, and adaptability and it's the ability to kind of do anything he wants on a wave is going to suit him really, really well. And so I had him over Jordy and two, uh, would, would be my guess. Um, lefts, rights like whatever i think and i'd love to see it go three heats because i think it is one of those situations where if he's in the final you're going to see something you've never seen in surfing because he just seems to perform um when the pressure's on i think so too and and i keep harping on this but this is the beauty of those one-to-one matchups because i just think if you know if in my version it's gabriel and and italo and someone goes left and does a backflip on the or does something that then the next person kind of has to do that. Like all of a sudden you've set the scale and it's like, because you know, you had mentioned Jordy going right. And then Gabriel has to kind of defend and go right. Well, I think when, you know, the two goofy foot surfers out there and that little Northwest wind starts to blow up the face on the left mm. and the right is glassy. Well, all of a sudden the left becomes like bungee jumping for those guys, you know, and they just start going for it and someone lands something crazy and it became, it becomes a game of skate, you know? And yeah, who knows where we go? Well, I'm excited. So so this was our fifth and final time machine because now we're going to get to see it in real life with the start of the 2021 championship tour. But I hope everyone enjoyed those. I certainly enjoyed doing those with you, Pat. Before we go, we have our mailbag segment. Uh, as always, if uh, listeners have a question, you can follow us on Instagram at the lineup pod. And now I'm told you can also follow us on Twitter, which is at the lineup pod as well. So we have a Twitter page. Um, I actually jumped on Twitter this week um, because I was basically into the doom scrolling around the election. I don't know why. That's kind of like <laughs> saying you started heroin during drug awareness week at school. <laughs> it's sort of like, but I, I just, I don't know. I just did it. So I am on Twitter at Dave Prodan. So hit me up. I probably won't respond, but we've got questions. We've got great questions. So uh, the first question is for you, Pat. It's from Cheers Nicole, who asks, how far in advance does the WSL plan to announce the finals location 
uh, both this year and in future. So she picked a good day for this question because we yeah, did so, announce it. Um, I think it's a great question. We have probably about three, five different locations. Um, you know, I, there's not really a plan for us to sort of let people know like a, a three-year horizon. And, and it's something that we've discussed internally about kind of doing a rotation. But, you know, we now know that trestles will, will end the 2020-21 season. And, you know, I think typically we put our, our you know, schedule for the new year in sort of September November timeframe. I think we'd like to put it out a little earlier uh, next year because we will be starting um, the season earlier. So um, yeah, I, I, we don't really have anything definitive uh, in in there just yet. I, I like it. I, I think I like the I like the suggestion. It'd be cool to have a reveal day. Like I remember Rip Curl used to do that with their search event. I think they would do it like at the Portugal event at the back of the year. They'd say, "Guess what? Next year we're going to this." So if we could do something like that, I think it's a cool idea to kind of like get everyone excited around the WSL finals venue for the next season's going to be at X. Totally. Yeah, I agree. Okay, Dave, I have a question for you. Uh, Leto 37 asks, uh, they have a question. The COVID break has made a big difference to other sports when they came back. For example, in football, there've been more goals. Um, oh, so I, we must be, uh, Leto is talking about global football, not a, a global football, the, the football. Football, the, yeah. the, the beautiful game. Yeah, it's a beautiful game. And traditionally lower ranked teams uh, are playing better. Do you think leveling out the playing field may happen on the tour for uh, 2021? I think it's such a cool question. Um, I, I think it's like almost anything's possible. Uh, we, you and I were actually talking about this the other day where we are approaching the championship tour season with arguably... Not with arguably the best fields on the men's and women's side ever in terms of people who could win events and win world titles. But beyond that, I think everyone to a person has used this uh, non-season year to their benefit. You know, it looks like they've, they've gotten into their fitness, they've gotten into their boards, they've gotten into their approach and everything you're seeing, whether it's, you know, a countdown uh, series performance or like an Instagram clip, it's like, holy crap, everyone is surfing so much better than I remember them surfing. So in terms of leveling out, to be seen, I, I do think in surfing, as in most sports, there is there are two levels at the CT. It is true that kind of anyone could beat anyone at any spot on any day, but the those top five on both the men's and women's side are really a cut above, and and they're not always the same top five. You know, like they kind of just they manifest each season. So uh, I'm excited to see how everyone's kind of used the off season to to get sharp. Yep. Um, okay. Next question for Pat is from Noah Purrington. And he asks, or they ask, will there be any rule changes to what's considered, quote, sportsmanship uh, moving forward? So uh, the examples they use are Jack versus Zeke, I presume at Sunset Beach, and Medina versus Kyle Belly, uh, presuming at Pipe. Yeah, so no, it's a really good question. We spent a lot of time on this, um, and we were ready uh, in March to announce a couple of changes in the rule book. Uh, we'll be announcing those going into the season. Both of those situations are um, addressed in the new rules. Now, I, I would say Jack and Zeke um, isn't necessarily, and, and I would even say Gabriel and Kyle aren't necessarily sportsmanship situations, um, but we did adjust some of the rules just to make sure, um, you know, if there are interferences in the, in, in the back half of the heat, you know, we want to see surfing win. And, you know, kudos to certainly Gabriel because he is such a, a smart competitor. What he did, uh, whether people think it was unpopular and unsportsmanlike, 
it was absolutely by the rules what he did. And so, um, you know, we have addressed that. And I think uh, the new rule book goes up uh, about a week before the, um, the season starts. And so those uh, will be changed. Uh, mm-hmm. Dave, uh, Cheers Nicole asks, um, how will the tour work around the Olympics? Oh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> this is one that we constantly work with, given the changing nature of uh, everything in existence. Um, but yeah, I mean, the plan was in 2020, we were going to have a gap. So the CT surfers that qualified for their national teams would have space to compete in the Olympics. Um, and we're doing the same thing in 2021. We're going to, the the updated dates for the Tokyo uh, Games, uh, I think are in uh, June. July? Nope. They're July 20. Well, July. They start the 24th. I think surfing mm-hmm. starts the 25th. Um, yep. It goes through the first week of August. Yeah. So we have a, we've got a break for same deal for the, the surfers from the CT that qualified for the national teams to compete in the Olympics. And yeah, that'll be exciting to see. Next question for Pat. David Balefuss asks, at what point will the women and men compete head to head on the WSL? That's a, I like that. That's a really good question. I, I, I see that happening sooner than later at Sir France. Sir, uh, um, I think that the performances of the women are having out there are incredible. Um, we don't really have anything in, in plan. One thing that we have done that has been really cool, at least this year, we have an equal number of women's events as men that we brought Tahiti back. So, you know, I think the performances are getting there. Uh, but certainly if it's going to happen, I think we would see it at Sir France first. Dave, uh, Odie uh, Oddweiler, is that right? Odie Oddweiler? How can you make the Prime Series get more coverage? Uh, I'd love to see and watch it on Fox. Good question. I like, I like Odie. He's probably my age, so he remembers the, the Prime Series that we're now calling <laughs> the Challenger Series. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think, and we've talked about this a lot uh, inside the building, I look at it as like, stabilization kind of helps every part of the sport, right? So while we're still in sort of a COVID flexible, adaptable, starting surfing back up situation, you know, moving forward, we've announced, um, you know, seasonality uh, between the championship tour and the challenger series. I think that's going to do a lot for kind of like calendar narratives, right? Where we're looking at a calendar year and saying between January and September, everyone's focused on the championship tour and the world title. Between um, August and December, everyone's focused on the Challenger Series and qualification for next year's CT, right? And I think when we stabilize those calendars um, in the next two to three years and we stabilize those events, that's when things like meteorites um, can really lock in and we can plan for linear television coverage for those events. Because I agree, sometimes those events have phenomenal surfing. It's the best place to watch the up-and-coming surfers um, that are going to be on the CT soon. Um, and I think, you know, watching them with ease is great, but until then you can watch it on worldsurfleague.com or the WSL app. All right. Next questions from cheers, Nicole. She's got a lot of questions. This is great. Uh, for Pat, what are the contingency plans, uh, if COVID restrictions extend longer? Yeah, Nicole, that's a great question. So basically, um, our plan is to be flexible. Really? That's the best thing I can say. We know that the world is changing. We have plans that completely could go out the window. Um, We feel good about the first leg of the tour um, and us getting up and running, certainly in Hawaii. If that doesn't happen for whatever reason, we're going to pivot and we'll find something else. Um, You know, our goal is to, you know, we will crown a world champion next year. 
look, I think it's, it's simple to say it's going to look different. So, um, and, and we know that, you know, we feel good about the start. We feel good about the finish. We're just going to have to find, find our way through the middle bits. Um, but we definitely <laughs> will be getting world champions uh, from next year. So uh, next one for you, Dave. Uh, G Markey, 013, has a question. Will there be a move to have more events in developing surf countries like Ireland? And on the same topic, can we see a QS or CT stop head to Ireland or even a big wave event? <laughs> it's a good question. Yes, I'd love to see that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's part of the plan, right? I think when we can stabilize those schedules in the next two to three years, we can really start to smartly incorporate um, developing surf nations onto the schedule. I think it's really important. I think it it would be to, to what I would prefer is not just sort of a CT or a QS, but a full suite of development um, tiers as well, you know, pro junior systems, QS systems, CTs, et cetera. Um, I've never been to Ireland. Um, I mean, the last thing I saw was with that young man at Mugglemore, um, giant, giant left-hander from oh, last wow. week or something. And uh, yeah, I don't even, I don't even know. I, I have a pretty good imagination. I don't even know how you put yourself in that frame of mind to ride that thing. It was beyond impressive. So, um, yeah, I don't, uh, nothing in the, in the near term, but I think that, you know, anywhere where there's a burgeoning surf community and quality waves, we can, we can work to set something up. Yep. Uh, next question for Pat, South coast, David asks, how will events have social distancing in place for thousands of spectators on the beach? This is similar to David, to David, to David Somerville's question, which is what measures will be in place with regards to social distancing? Yeah, this is a great question, just, um, and it's part of our COVID protocols. Look, we're going to, um, as we talked about earlier in this podcast, was just about these being digital events. Certainly, Hawaii will be a, a, a test. Uh, some of the places we have the ability to sort of close off roads or access um, into a, a place, but for the most part, we're going to be asking spectators to just stay and watch on on broadcast uh, as, much as, as much as possible. Um, you know, like we said, you know, I think we've had nine countdown events this year um, and we've managed spectating uh, fine. And I, again, I think the broadcast is so good. I get down to the event sometimes and watch and realize like, oh, crap, I don't have my replay. Um, sometimes I think it's better to watch online anyway. So uh, that's we're just it's it's more of that as we're going to encourage people to watch online um, as much as possible. Dave. The Grumpy Surfer Podcast. Oh, I like that. I'm going to find that. Uh, Grumpy Surfer Podcast asks, do you think there ever be a boy or girl who can swim faster than a shark? I like this question. It feels like something you know my twins would ask me. I, I, as in my, in my, my other job as an amateur naturalist, I'm going to say no. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't think... I don't think a boy or girl or any human being is going to be able to swim faster than sharks. But... Um, like yeah, who knows? I mean, the, the limits of human performance seem to be shattered every day. I don't know. But um, yeah, I think they swim. I think they swim pretty fast. It's <laughs> my like guess my when they when when they want to. It's a good question. Good. All right. Next question. Ed Kirk 87 asks Pat, when travel resumes, can Pat bring back the drive through? What was your favorite trip on it and why? I Kurt, I love uh, I had so much fun doing those drive throughs. I loved everything about it. Um, so um, probably my favorite is just the funniest one. Um, I love Donovan. I love Benji. I love all the crew. 
Uh, but certainly when Donovan and I got in a fight in New Zealand was my favorite. Um, I still laugh about it probably just because Donovan was actually really angry. And then I finally got really angry at him and we didn't make up until like the last day of the trip. And we were around each other for like 10 days and we wouldn't <laughs> talk to each other. Wouldn't like, it was so funny. And for people that remember the New Zealand episode is Donovan just would leave his shit everywhere. And I tripped over his bag and hit my head. And I was like, God damn it, Donovan. And then turned around and I forgot his bag was there and tripped and hit it again. And so uh, in a frustrated, you know, state of mind, I grabbed his bag and I threw it off a cliff. And um, <laughs> that was, uh, it was great. And Don, Don didn't love it. So that was, um, I would love to throw Don's bag off a cliff. If, if that's what we get. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Connor uh, Sullivan, 17, asks, who's your sleeper pick for a world champion, both men's and women's, Dave? Oh, okay. Thank you, Connor. That's a good question. Um, so sleeper pick. So that doesn't mean like outside the top 10, maybe, I guess, to quantify it, because I could, you know, we can hover around the top 10 all day. Um, I'll start with the women, I guess. Uh, Tyler Wright uh, finished 17th last year, but I don't think she qualifies as a sleeper pick. Uh -huh. um, it's hard, right? Because it, it is one, I think we had that question before where about leveling up and, and there is like a, it's a huge challenge to break into that, that upper tier of title contenders. But yeah, geez, I'm looking at the top, the, the back 10 on the women's tour. Maybe Brisa Hennessy, like, I don't know about next year, but certainly in future years, I think she's got like a ton of talent. She's really young and I think, you know, if she gets a bit more competitive uh, experience at the elite level, I think her her competitive game is going to be really sharp. I really like the way she serves. Um, I think she has a, a high ceiling. And then on the men's side, outside the top ten, geez, like there's so much talent. Some obvious ones. I I, I will go with Ryan Callanan. I'm I am admittedly in the bag for Ryan. I love the way he serves. I think he's deadly in like all conditions: forehand, backhand, airs, rail game, barrels. And I think think he's just like one of the nicest guys I've ever met. So humble. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll go with Ryan. What about you, Pat? I think I like I, that. that's a good I, one for you I, too. I love what you said. I, I'm a huge Ryan Callanan fan, I think. And he doesn't really have a weak point either, which is part of, um, you know, doing super well on the tour. Um, so I, I like both your, I like both of those. All right. So we're down to the final two questions. Final one for you, Pat, is Jay Camilo 0415 asks, with Portugal restricting spectators after the last Nazare swell, are tour events still on? Yeah, so that's a great question. Yes, they are. Um, I, I don't want to misrepresent how serious the, the situation is in Europe. So certainly um, I, I think our team is working with the government to make sure that, the, um, uh, that we're complying at, at all levels. So um, I would say... Uh, one of the key things that they've been talking about, what we've been talking about is having non-spectator events. Um, one of the things about Nazare specifically is everyone shows up on the cliff to watch. So there would need to be some, um, you know, uh, barricade of some sort or stopping people from coming in to watch the big swell. Um, and I think uh, if that happens, I think we could still run an event. And again, it goes into, hey, everybody stay at home. We're going to give it to you live on TV so you don't have to come down. Um, but that's sort of where it's sitting today. And like I said, I don't want to misrepresent what, what is actually happening. Whoops, sorry. Okay. Um, so Dave, uh, Raymond O'Sullivan has asked, uh, what is Eric Elo 
brought from Harpo that has made a difference so far at the WSL. <laughs> Put me on the spot. Yeah. I, I mean, I, th I mean, there's a couple of content properties that he has stood up that are like really next level on, on major platforms, some that people know about and some that are going to be announced here in the, the near future. So I think that's one thing. I think in terms of his tenure as CEO, I think he started like a few weeks before the pandemic hit. So real trial by fire. But yeah, I think he's he's had really good leadership inside the organization this year. It's been a challenging year for for everyone, uh, I think inside and outside the company. But um, I think we've used it as, as wisely as we can um, to kind of focus in. And he's really anchored the company around, you know, we might be exploring a lot of hypotheticals about how to get the tour started, but that's the right thing to do. And the championship tour is kind of the the engine within not only our company, but I think kind of surfing more broadly. Um, and so he's really brought that kind of focus back to the company. And that really is why we're able to stand the CT back up and start it here in a few weeks. So I think uh, that'd be the biggest thing I'd say he brought from Harpo. I don't know if he got that from Harpo or not, but that's 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 what my experience has been with him here. So that's it for the mailbag segment. Um, again, if you guys have questions that you want us to answer about anything, make sure to follow us on either Instagram or Twitter. And that's all we got. Pat, thank you so much. Thank you for bringing Championship Tour Surfing back. And uh, next time we talk, we're going to be on. Let's get ready to rumble. So that's it. That's the lineup presented by Michelob Ultra Pure Gold Conversation with Pat O'Connell. I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you're as pumped as I am for the world's best surfing to resume in less than a month. This episode is produced by Ryan Fawcett with art direction by Jason Penning. Thanks to both of them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges that it is recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Chumash, the Kichtavagnar, and the Ashaman people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next Tuesday.